This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod, Puckcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJScholes24. I'm extremely proud of the fact that this is the debut episode of my fifth year at this helm, and equally happy that my co-host and pal, AJ, is back for his fourth season on Puckcast. As we've done in prior years, we'll be coming at you with our four preseason division preview episodes during this month. All of them will be designed to give fantasy sports players a leg up on their competition. On today's pod, AJ and I will provide previews for all teams in the Central Division and add our predicted order of the final standings at the end of the show. Now let me introduce AJ for our weekly reminder and uh, a big headline off the top. Yeah, I think the first thing that we uh, really need to talk about here, um, aside from the fact that I'm equally happy to be back and and doing this again, um, we still have 19 RFAs who are unsigned and some pretty big names here. Obviously, you know, as you're familiar, Mitch Marner in Toronto, there's Patrick Linen, Kyle Connor in Winnipeg. That's got to be a headache for that team with both those guys out there. But Braden Point in Tampa, uh, list goes on and on. Matthew Tuchuk in Calgary, McAvoy in Boston. Uh, And it's really interesting that we're this late in the game and still have 19 of these guys unsigned yet. Now, uh, uh, Wierenski signed yesterday. I think that could be a big chip that falls, especially for the defensemen. Um, But we'll have to wait and see what happens the rest of the way with these guys. So, uh, you know, before we uh, kick off the show, I'll remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, fantasy hockey, uh, draft seasons right around the corner, pools are kicking off, uh, tweet at us and we'll try and answer those questions for you uh, either you know via Twitter right away or sometimes uh, if you have a really good question, maybe we'll save it for our next episode of podcast and give you a little shout out there. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJScholes24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. Okay, AJ, let's knock around that question of the RFA situation a little bit more. You mentioned about the Wierenski signing. I think it was a little bit of a low 
uh, price tag that comes his way. And, and uh, the bridge deal doesn't even take him to free agency. So I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that he might have sold out a little bit lower than he might otherwise. And that will affect the negotiations for a team like the Boston Bruins with with uh, their uh, one of their blue lines, Charlie McAvoy, in line for a, a pretty big raise too. And so uh, this contract by Wierenski certainly helps the uh, the Bruins camp in that regard, I think. In the Toronto situation with Mitch Marner, I'm a little closer to the action there than you, and uh, I'll remind our listeners that there's a little matter of the long-term injury replacement uh, situation in Toronto where they have about $10 million that will come off their cap, and because of those, the, the two car- players they're carrying there, and that'll be money that they're going to use to try and sign Mitch Marner, and I think it's going to happen in the first week of the NHL season, and probably not before, unless uh, the Marner camp capitulates and decides that it's more important for him to show up at training camp and give the team a, mo- a little bit more of a team-friendly break, if you can call $9.5 million uh, a year <laughs> a team-friendly break. But as you said, there's lots of contract implications along the way. We'll touch on them, a couple of them, I'm sure, when we get through uh, some of these team previews, particularly in this case. Uh, today, we're talking about Co- Colorado and Ranton, and he's one of the holdout guys there, too. So with that... Let's start with the Chicago Blackhawks, AJ. I'll take a look at the forward line combos. You come up with the defense pairings, and uh, then I'll talk about the goalie splits. Of course, we'll go back and forth in each category and each uh, position uh, through each of the teams. And uh, let's start with the forwards here. The Drake Kajula is a guy I have my eye on. He's coming off a year where he had 55 games played at only 23 points. He's going to smash those numbers if he holds on to this role, AJ, because he's got a chance to partner up with two guys the linchpins of this offense Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane both of whom coming off career seasons behind them a young trio of Alex Dabrinkat who had 82 games played 76 points Dylan Strom 78 games played 57 points and Andrew Shaw with 63 games played and 47 points rounds out that unit uh, the breakout campaign of Dylan Strom excites me here because it affords this team to transition uh, a little quicker than I anticipated in terms of, of a rebuild on the fly, AJ, with the solidifying of that second-line scoring role. And the third line is nothing to sneeze at either because they've got a trio of interesting players. When you think Brandon Saad returns here for a second tour of duty in Chicago, 80 games played last year, 47 points is the total. Zach Smith comes over from Ottawa in a deal that sent Artem Anisimov the other way. And he is plugged into the third line role here. I think he's going to do better than the 28 points he had in 70 games played. Dylan Sakura is, is a guy to keep an eye on too. He only had eight points last year in 33 games. His first real taste of, of uh, regular duty in the NHL. And I think he's got a chance to really blossom in this situation. What are your thoughts on the forward ranks here? And have I missed any names? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the number one kind of guys that could be uh, kind of X factors in <clears throat> in this top you know top nine here is Kirby Doc the the third round pick or third overall pick rather for the Blackhawks uh, in the 2019 draft. I would not be surprised to see him push Zach Smith uh, for that that spot on the the third line there and and really challenge him for that. Zach Smith obviously playing with Ottawa will skew anybody's uh, stats uh, into the negative uh, at least of late with that team, but. Uh, and I agree. I think he could do better than the 28 points, but he's going to face a pretty significant challenge there. Uh, and then the other name I'll throw out that could factor here as well as Brandon Perlini, you know, coming in uh, from the, the trade from Chicago or from Arizona, rather had 15 points in his 46 games 
uh, with Chicago. That's a pretty decent production for a guy who only had six points in his first 22 games with Arizona. So uh, those are just two names that I think could really factor in here. Obviously, Taves and Kane will, will be the linchpins here. And whether they keep them together, split them up, uh, you know, is is certainly something that we could see as well. Uh, and then Drake Kajula, I agree if he's in that spot, definitely could have a breakout season here. Um, but you know, for a guy that struggled to hold on to a top line spot alongside Connor McDavid, I'm not certain he'll do much better here in Chicago, uh, and could find himself bounced there as well. But it's certainly, uh, all things to consider there defensively, you know, it's going to be a little bit more of the same in, in a lot of ways, but also some new faces here. You got Duncan Keith and Eric Gustafson, uh, holding down the top line. Keith, uh, 82 games last year, 40 points, Gustafson, 60 points, uh, last season, the second and third, uh, pairings here are where things get interesting. Now, I think what we're going to see, I think we're going to see Calvin DeHaan grab that uh, that second combo spot alongside uh, Connor Murphy, in fact. Uh, and I think those guys will really transition uh, into to kind of stepping up their game. And then the third pairing is going to be Ole Mata, who they brought in from Pittsburgh. DeHaan comes over from Carolina. Uh, and Mata will pair up with Seabrook on that third pairing. And that's a real, honestly, concern group for me, um, which is why you could see Mata and DeHaan flipped. Um, but there's not a lot of speed there in Ole Mata for, for me. Uh, and the last thing Chicago needed to add was, was another slow defenseman as Seabrook and Keith get up there, uh, in age. And so as a Pittsburgh fan, I, I was a, a big fan of the trade. I, I liked the acquisition of Dominic Cahoon. Something had to give on that blue line. Anyway, there, there were two, um, packed in there, but from a Chicago standpoint, I actually don't love this trade. Now, granted, they have a lot of other pieces, as I mentioned, uh, Ford's doc Smith, uh, they brought in Alex Nylander from Buffalo. So there were a lot of guys competing for ice time. So, uh, maybe Cahoon wasn't really going to fit there, but I don't love Olimata adding, uh, to this, uh, this group here. Yeah. I think from the Chicago perspective, they have to hope that the unrealized potential that he, uh, left behind in Pittsburgh is realized here, but, uh, I'm from the show me state in this situation and I need to, to see more out of him before I commit to him. But a guy that I really like here and kind of flies under the radar among the top scoring defensemen is a Eric Gustafsson. Now he picked up 60 points last year. I'll defy many of our listeners to think if they could have, would have listed him among the 50 plus point guys last season off the top of their heads. He certainly wasn't top of mind for me. I don't think he's going to replicate those numbers, but I do like the fact that he starts out the season potentially part partner with Duncan Keith, who's got a lot of smarts and a lot of a high hockey IQ that he hopes to pass on to his young partner here. It's uh, it's the question mark uh, overall here is the, the speed uh, and uh, the agility of this group as a whole. This six pack is one of the slower defense groups in the in the entire division for sure. And I think it still represents a bit, a bit of weak spot in Chicago, AJ. Let's move on to look at the goalie split. And that's an interesting one here too. Corey Crawford coming off an injury plague season where he only appeared in 30 contests, won 14 of them and posted a rather high for him, 292 goals against average. His new partner coming in from the island after a very uh, highly regarded comeback season of sorts, Robin Leonard. He played 46 games there, 125, but the goaltending uh, the goals against average is a story here. He was sparkling at 2.13. This looks like it should be a battle all season long for the number one role. I think if Leonard can build off what he did last year, he'll push 
Crawford aside, and those injury concerns make me uh, less interested in picking him. And uh, but this is a goaltending situation, though. If if you want a uh, top-flight goalie who's going to dominate, I don't think you're going to find it in this tandem, AJ. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, um, the best you really could go for here would be to to go with the handcuff and and, and take both guys uh, and really you know switch them out. If you're in a uh, league that sets your lineup every week, uh, this may not be a situation that you want to touch on because I think we're going to see these guys pretty much split the ice time, uh, assuming Crawford can stay healthy, which is by no means guaranteed. Look, you don't pay a guy like Robin Lerner $5 million uh, this year to sit on the bench. I mean, $11 million for two goalies uh, is a pretty significant price tag to not be paying, you know, Sergey Bobrovsky that 11 million dollars right um <laughs> so uh we'll see how it how it pans out if Crawford's injury woes are a concern I think you'll see Colin D'Elia uh back up in the majors as the number two there uh they don't have a ton of you know depth options here at, in goal in terms of guys that are at least signed uh to to some sort of two-way or entry-level deal so uh, we'll see how it pans out for them, but I think ultimately we're going to see a pretty even split here. Uh, something Lerner uh, excelled in uh, on Long Island last year. Uh, Corey Crawford, this would certainly be a change of pace for him, but it might let him stay a little bit healthier uh, and play longer into the season as well. All right, AJ, let's look at the Colorado Avalanche up next. This is a team that a lot of people have high expectations for, and it's largely centered on some of the new additions and rookies that uh, dot this lineup. And uh, again, I'll take the forward combinations here, and uh, AJ, you'll respond, and we'll go through it. Uh, That top line here uh, on paper looks to be one of the dominant forces in the entire league again, but there's that question mark on the right wing with the potential RFA situation of Miko Rantanen. He was partnered last year with Gabe Landeskog and Nate McKinnon to uh, form a line that really ran roughshod over the NHL. All three players did better than a point-per-game pace, and uh, if they're healthy, they should do the same thing. And I think in early season predictions, Nathan McKinnon's name is coming up a lot in Hart Trophy uh, discussion already and potentially Art Ross scoring championship. This guy has all the skills to, to contend for both of those uh, trophies. Uh, all all season long and the second line uh, very intriguing because there are three guys that played elsewhere last season they're looking like they're going to be all bunched up on the second unit and that's where the intrigue for me lies in the forward ranks Andre Burakovsky a guy that was never reaching his potential in uh, his first stop in Washington only 25 points in 76 games played last year Nazem Kadri who wore out his welcome I have to say in Toronto with some head scratching decisions in the playoffs the last couple of years he sunk to a third-line role uh, behind the two-headed monster at center with the Leafs in Matthews and, and uh, Tavares and produced only 44 points in 73 games. I think he's going to do much better than that here. I think Burakovsky as well should do way better than the 25 points he notched. And uh, Junas Donskoy is a guy who I really have to keep a key, uh, an eye on here given the Rantanen situation, AJ. He might move up at first-line minutes while Rantanen gets things sorted out if he doesn't sign early on. So Donskoy has a chance to really jump from the 37 points that he produced in 80 games played last year the third line has some talent as well people that can move up and down this lineup colin wilson 27 points in 65 games tyson yost a recent top draft pick 
should emerge at some point as a much more potent producer than the 26 points he had in 70 games played last year. And JT Comfer, for me, runs, runs up the top nine. He had 32 points in 66 games. AJ, what do you think of this group? And uh, are there any other names that should be mentioned here? Yeah, I think you hit it, hit the nail on the head with this second line. I mean, that is going to be the key uh, to their success here. And I, I think the addition of Donskoy would allow them to f- maybe even flip him uh, and Ranton and, uh, you know, on a game by game, a shift by shift uh, kind of basis here and spread that scoring out a little bit. But I anticipate just like you do, uh, pretty much everybody on that second line should see point totals higher than what they had last season, except maybe Kadri. 44 points is probably on the top end of his, but I would expect he'll be, you know, right around there. Um, you know, he has hit 50, 60 in the past, so it's certainly uh, not outside the question that that whole line could overproduce based on last season. Uh, there's not a ton of names here that I would really expect to factor in uh, for top nine minutes with this club, Vladislav Kamenov, maybe, but he's been so plagued by injuries. It's hard to really know what he can still bring to the team. Uh, they brought in uh, Valeri Nishkinen from uh, after his unsuccessful return to the NHL last year with Dallas. Uh, if he could maybe figure out how to put a goal in the net, that might uh, <laughs> help him. But <laughs> 57 games, no goals. Uh, and I'm not seeing a huge turnaround for him either. So uh, it's it's kind of those nine and, and that'll be it. You know, they've got uh, some solid players in, in like a Matt Calvert and Pierre Edouard Belmar who will add some grit and some physicality on the fourth line, but not a ton of uh, return in in terms of fantasy value. So looking uh, at the defensive side, you know, obviously the biggest concern here uh, is Ian Cole with that injury mm-hmm. and how long he's going to be out. You know, right now uh, it, it looks like early December uh, as as best uh, kind of return for him. And so that really shakes up how these lines are going to look for opening night here. Uh, they've got Nikita Zadorov, who I think uh, they'll pair up with uh, Kale McCarr, the, the youngster. Um, making his, you know, really NHL debut now, you know, obviously uh, played a few games last season, but overall uh, this will be kind of the true tried and true test for him. And I, I think this is a guy that could factor in uh, and push for like a 40 point uh, campaign here, you know, maybe, uh, you know, something like 10 goals, 30 assists, I don't think would be out of, out of the question there, especially if he can earn some power play time there as well. Uh, then you've got Sam Garrard. I think he'll pair up well uh, with Eric Johnson, who is you know, another one that's dealing with an injury. But again, he's reportedly said he'll be 100 percent ready by the time they get to opening night. Um, so that should be good there. So uh, a lot of injuries. And then the X factor here is uh, Bowen Byram, uh, their young uh, 2019 draft pick here, selected fourth overall. He uh, could be uh, a factor here as well, though. Uh, whether they want to send him down. So here's what I would say. I would expect that he would have maybe returned to juniors this year if Ian Cole wasn't injured because you don't want a guy like that sitting on the bench watching games. Uh, And I think they'll use Callie Rosen potentially or Kevin uh, Connaughton on that third line. But with Ian Cole unavailable, I think that opens up the opportunity for Byram to play some games at the start. And once he hits that 10 game mark, they're not going to, you know, they can't send him back to juniors uh, and then they're going to use him full time. So uh, if Ian Cole was healthy, I think he spends another year uh, developing his game, but that's not really an option for him. So I expect him to be in that third pairing there. 
You know what? The big problem in Colorado for all the people that had these, have these high expectations for this team is on the blue line, AJ, in my opinion. And uh, last year, the whole of the defense was a bit of a black hole for fantasy value. And you can see it by some of the point totals reflected here. Zadaroff, 14 points in 70 games. Ian Cole, uh, he's injured, as you mentioned, only 15 points in 71 games. Samuel Girard is a guy they expect a lot from. 27 points in 82 games. I think he should do a lot better than that. He's going to probably be a key participant in their power play, which should be one of the best in the league. Byram is an interesting case, as you mentioned, and the reason why they expect uh, to plug him in at some point is because of the outstanding year that he had in the Western Hockey League. 71 points, 67 games played for Vancouver Giants in the Western Hockey League. Eric Johnson has passed his best days. He was once regarded as an offensive-minded defenseman, 25 points there in 80 games played. Callie Rosen is an interesting piece here this this year for this club in my mind. He comes over along with Kadri and the deal they made with the Leafs. And uh, I know a little bit about this guy's skill set. He's got some offensive upside and some toughness to him. And I think he's a guy that you'll see plugged into this top six at some point. And, and I think he has an offensive upside that uh, outstrips some of the other guys that had held down positions here last year. So that might be a guy to keep an eye on in the bottom end of your uh, drafts going forward. In terms of the goalie split here, another intriguing one. Philip Rubar is probably the most important piece on this entire team when you look at the lack of goalie depth in this organization right now, AJ. Grubar is coming off a year where he shone in the playoffs and and, kind of took over the role here. 37 games played in the regular season, 18 wins and a 264 goals against average. I think this guy's going to play upwards of 50 games this year and maybe more because he's backed up by a young Pavel Frank who's who played 49 games in the with Colorado in the AHL, only three in the NHL, and he's projected backup in the, the Colorado situation. For his part in the minors, he did win 18 games and post a respectable 264 goals against. But I think goaltending is a real concern here if anything happens to Grubauer. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think it's, uh, you know, Grubauer bus at this point, which is what they were planning uh, when they brought him over uh, from Washington in the first place. You know, the, I think that was uh, the final nail in the coffin for Simeon Varlamov's time with the organization. They obviously let him walk uh, during the offseason here. And I agree. I think Grubauer is going to play. I expect him to be up over 60, to be totally honest with you. I think they're going to give him a full workload. Uh, and see whether or not he can he can handle it there the nice part for Grubauer is that he is backed up by that uh, awesome top line that can really produce we talked about the second line being an option here and I actually disagree with you here Paul I I love uh, what they've done to kind of reshape this blue line uh, in the past I've been high on Samuel Garrard for several years I love Kale McCarr I think he'll do great. And then uh, Bowen Byram, I think, is the X factor here. So um, I actually think they could get some very uh, quality scoring here off that blue line, uh, which sets them up well uh, heading into, you know, next uh, next season and to maybe win some games if, if Grubauer struggles and, and has an off night. So uh, I expect 60, I'll say 62 will be my, my bold prediction here, <laughs> but upwards of 60 games uh, for Philip Grubauer this season. Interesting call. There were only eight guys that reached that mark last year, and I, I don't think there's going to be eight that do it this year. wonder if, if you're right on that one. Could be a candidate for our dollar bet. Let's, let's throw that out there early on. Uh, AJ, why don't you lead it off now and look at the Dallas Stars forward combinations. Let's switch it up a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, there's there's some big new names here in in Dallas, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they factor in. I think ultimately the top line is going to change mostly, uh, or the top line isn't going to change and stay mostly the same with Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan pairing up again, and Alexander Radulov. I think holds down that right wing spot. Uh, on on the top line here you got Ben 53 points in 78 games last season Sagan 80 and 82 and Radulov 72 and 70 so these are top producing guys that played together really well last season the one uh, reason you could maybe see some things change up here is whether or not they want to put Joe Pavelski uh, on that top line now he is uh generally considered a a natural center here but he's played plenty of wing uh, so that could be a factor for them as well but I think they might be better suited to leave him on that second line let him be the center there and then you could see Corey Perry who played in just 31 games for Anaheim last year uh, picked up 10 points if he can stay healthy uh, he factors in there as well likely Rupe hints on that left uh, line spot on the second line but I really think that's uh, kind of up in the air. I, I don't know. Um, you know, really, I think that's probably your most unsettled spot in your top six is who finishes or who, excuse me, fits in there. Um, from there, it's a little bit more of the same. I think uh, Andrew Cogliano uh, is likely to have the the third uh, third line spot, but Jason Dickinson could also be a factor. Radic uh, Faxa uh, as well. And then probably Blake Como. Uh, but again, you know, depending on where they want to move Pavelski, you could see Corey Perry down on that third line. So really, uh, there's a lot going on there, uh, in that top nine. So, uh, that's kind of how I see it breaking down right now, but this is a very fluid situation. It's probably one of the most, uh, fluid in the forward combinations that we've seen so far. Paul, I'll get your take. Uh, do you see things being as fluid? Are there some guys that could factor here as well? You know, it's it's it makes me remind our listeners we're a month away from the start of the opening of the regular season, so this probably is going to be a situ- one of the situations of a few in this particular division where we're going to see some alterations from what we project now through training camp but i'll also throw out the fact that jamie ben's coming off a year aj where he only had 53 points in 78 games i look for him to have a huge bounce back season that was an aberration this guy contended for the league scoring championship just a couple of seasons ago so uh, when you go through your uh, preseason rankings don't forget about the fact that this guy was once among the league leaders not so long ago, and he's got all the skills to be right back up there on a team that's deeper among the forward ranks than they were last season. Another name that I'll throw into the mix here, other than the ones that you mentioned, is Denis Gurianov, AJ. He toiled ex- almost exclusively with the Texas Stars in the AHL and was uh, 48 points and 57 games down there before he got a bit of a cup of coffee. Only four points in 21 games with the NHL club, but this guy's got the size and speed to be a factor on the left side and could bump a guy like an Andrew Cogliano and maybe if they move Rupe Hints around, uh, Gurianov can even slide into the top six. So that could be another situation to watch for. I wonder how much how much mileage Corey Perry has left in the tank. He's coming off a year where he was injured and he only had 10 points in 31 games played, but brings a ton of leadership to the mix here, as does Pavelski. And uh, that, it's that factor that really has a lot of fans excited about this team, how they're, they're 
leadership core has, has improved dramatically, and uh, they hope for upward trajectory in the standings. A look at the defense uh, reveals some some skill and some depth here that uh, we didn't see, I didn't see in the Colorado ranks. I like the Dallas defense a little bit more. Esselin Dell had a bit of an emergence last year, partnering with John Klingberg. Klingberg, for his part, had a bit of an injury-wracked uh, season, only 64 games played, but produced 45 points. This guy, if he plays a full slate, could reach the 60-point mark, and uh, he'll drag Lindell up with him, and if that pairing stays intact, Lindell could even reach 40, where he had 32 in 80, 82 games played last year. Another youngster, Miro Heiskanen, had 33 points in a bit of an emerg- emergence for himself. Uh, he also played the full slate of 82 games could projectedly be partnered with Stephen Johns, a guy who missed all of last season with injuries. They're counting on him to be more of a defensive specialist here, so don't look for him for too much fantasy value. And on the third pairing, Andre Sequeira, who was a frontline scoring defenseman back in earlier in his career, he's coming off a year where he was injury uh, plagued, and he only had four points in 24 games played. Should do much better than that, and he's insulated by a defensive defenseman of note. Uh, Roman Pol- Polak, 77 seven games only nine points aj uh what do you think of this defense core or and are there any other names to consider yeah i mean i think in terms of actual minutes uh guys that could slot in if if john's you know remains out of the mix here are jamie alexiak and taylor fadoon in terms of fantasy production uh it's pretty much uh, going to be all klingberg Lindell and Heiskanen you're not going to get much else uh, out of anybody else really in this lineup Ulysses Honka if he could get consistent playtime might be a guy uh, that that could factor but I'm not sure uh, that that's in the cards for him right now based on every uh, you know everybody else and, and where they stand so we'll kind of see uh, again this is another one a, a bit of a fluid situation who locks down those those additional spots you know they have a bunch of guys that uh, could be factors, Joel Hanley, Gavin Byruth, uh, Dylan Hetherington, uh, a, a number of names of, of youngsters that are trying to make their way into the NHL. But as you mentioned, they've got a ton of veterans here uh, and shutdown guys in John Sakara and Polak. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out there for them uh, in terms of, of the blue line here uh, in goal. It's going to be the same as last season. You're going to see Ben Bishop and Anton Kudobin. Now, these guys split uh, the duties uh, pretty significantly last year, and that's due to some injuries for Ben Bishop, which have been a concern since he made the move from Dallas or to Dallas from uh, Tampa a couple of years ago. But uh, I think if he's healthy, I don't see him playing more than 55 games next year. Uh, they, they obviously like what they have in Kudobin in terms of a backup. And so I think they'll keep those number of games down in terms you know in terms of keeping bishop healthy keeping him ready for a postseason run which is absolutely uh what they're hoping to do you don't bring in joe pavelski uh on a you know three-year 21 million dollars at his age uh without hopes of winning a title in the next year or two here so i think they keep bishop fresh by playing qdobin more obviously the goal is to have bishop healthy and available but i think 55 is about the ceiling in terms of games played for these two gentlemen well you know what i tend to agree with you and it almost looks like it's a model for the rest of the league aj that some more and more teams are following you did mention that bishop had an injury plague season but his upside as you suggest is a shade over 50 games played and you're going to see more of that around the league as i implied earlier only a handful of goalies did reach the 60 game played mark so that's something to watch for and maybe if you're looking for draft strategies if you can't get 
one or more of these guys uh, with 60-plus games played get a, get a couple of handcuffs together on the situations that look more promising. And this is one of them where they have a bit of a defensive structure, and both goalies did put up very good numbers, as you suggested. Why don't you lead us off again with the Minnesota wild, wild forward situations, AJ? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, looking at Minnesota, uh, again, this is a team uh, that has added uh, a little bit, but overall, uh, you know, it's going to be much, much the same. You've got Jason Zucker back with Eric Stahl likely on that top line. Uh, and their addition here is Matt Zuccarella, who uh, comes over from uh, Dallas, you know, via the Rangers last year. Uh, obviously had that unfortunate uh, arm injury that happened in his first game, excuse me, with with Dallas last season. But once healthy, he really did produce for that club uh, pretty significantly. So I think this is a really solid top line. Uh, whether Eric Stahl can continue to be a 50-plus point guy, he got 52 in 81 games last season. Uh, as he starts to get a little long in the tooth, obviously Jason Zucker, 42 points in 81 games, you would expect better out of him uh, moving forward, especially if this team has aspirations of being a contender. Uh, second line, you're looking at Zach Parisi, uh, 61 points in 74 games last year. Miko Koivu, uh, hopefully healthy for them. Uh, he got just 29 points in the 48 games before he was uh, you know, sidelined due to injury. And then I think we see Kevin Fiala, uh, 39 points in 83 games last year, obviously uh, making that move. He was one of the handful of guys who played more than 82 games last season. There were uh, actually a couple of them last year, which is kind of interesting. The third line is interesting for me uh, as well in terms of, you know, youngsters that they're hoping can step up and produce. You've got Jordan Greenway uh, there along with Luke Coonan and Ryan Donato is kind of the most likely pair. Uh, one kind of X factor that I'll throw out there uh, is, is Ryan Hartman and whether or not he uh, is going to be a fourth liner for them, whether he could compete up there as well. Uh, and then you also have Drew Stafford on a, on a professional tryout here for camp and uh, where he would slot in as well. So right now it looks like that'll be a third line of, of younger guys trying to, you know, cement themselves here. Uh, but if they struggle at all, uh, some of these older vets who are hanging around the team could certainly be factors in the top nine. It's the older vets, AJ, if I can comment, that uh, caused me a bit of concern. You mentioned Eric Stahl. He slid back to 52 points. That's not what you need from a frontline center in this NHL. And also, most teams are shying away from the 30-somethings to lead their squads offensively. It's become a younger man's game. So when they got a pairing of Stahl and Koivu, both of them in their mid-30s, uh, manning the first two center roles, I'm a little bit concerned. I, I'd like to see a guy like a Luke Kunin challenge for a, a top uh, six role here. He has to do much better than the 17 points in 49 games played. A lot of question marks because of the lack of quality i'll say or declining quality at the center position but uh, to your point uh, a couple of guys that i think are, are unmindful of in terms of improving their scoring uh, bat zuccarello only 40 points in 48 games played if he plays a full slate you got to think he's going to be a 60 point guy fiala is a guy with a much better up offensive upside than 39 points he picked up and ryan donato another right winger 25 points in 56 games played i think this guy is uh, a future top six player and should challenge for 
maybe a role uh, in a year or two, but could do better than the 25 points he has. So maybe the help is coming on the right side, concern at the center and the left wing. Well, they got quality in the first two lines in Zucker and Parise. So I like what I see in some cases, but I really am concerned about the middle of the ice there. In terms of the defense pairings, AJ, uh, they're going with uh, a veteran core among the top four and a couple of, uh, well, a youngster uh, to make up the third pairing. Uh, We'll get to him in a sec. Ryan Suter, 47 games. 47 points in 82 games played. This guy's a plug-and-play player, AJ. He's always uh, a little bit more of a second-tier quality in terms of scoring in the NHL. Not quite a 50-point man, but very close, as you suggest, as I suggested with the point total. A ton of ice time comes his way. And Jared Spurgeon, you can say he's he's on the same category. They both played all all the games and both topped the 40-point mark, and they should do that again. Second pairing is where the potential lies in Matt Dumba. One of these years, he's going to put it all together. Last year, he was on his way. He only had 32 games, 22 points. If he keeps that pace up, he'll be over 50 points this year. Might be leading this pack. Jonas Brodeen, Nick Sealer, and Greg Patterson rounded out. None of those three guys have any fantasy value uh, to report, uh, AJ, unless you see things differently than I do. No, I really don't. I think you're talking about the the top six there and in, in Sutter, Spurgeon, and Dumba. Uh, the, the you know the one concern I have with this club is is uh, if any of those guys were to get injured again, uh, like happened to them last year, there's not a ton of depth. You know, you look at their seventh defenseman. It's you know currently Brad Hunt, who isn't going to provide much in in terms of uh, fantasy production either. There's a couple of intriguing options down in the minors in terms of Carson Sousey, uh, Louis Belpito, Matt Barkowski isn't really a, a fantasy um, relative, uh, you know, relevant uh, guy or offensive producer either. Um, so there's not a ton of replacement for them uh, looking down the lineup here. So it is certainly a, uh, you know, uh, got to keep those guys healthy, really. Otherwise, Uh, you're going to see things kind of fall off the rails uh, like they did last season. Uh, In terms of net mining, again, this is uh, more of the same, I think, uh, for them. Devin Dubnik played uh, 67 games last year, got 31 wins with a 2.54 goals against average. I expect him to once again be a 60-plus game workhorse. It's it's been uh, Minnesota's uh, kind of style, and Dubnik seems to really thrive uh, in that element. He'll be backed up once again by Alex Stalock. Um, 21 games played last season, six wins, a 2.99 goals against average. That's decent enough. And, uh, you know, I know that goals against average is really, uh, kind of high, but with the team that he had in front of him with Dumba out and some other concerns, uh, with this club, uh, I, you know, it's hard to really blame the backup goalie for, for having, uh, somewhat disappointing numbers there last season. So, uh, I think you see more of the same this year. Uh, Dubnik uh, will be a factor in terms of highest uh, goalie games played, certainly. Yeah, I think I think there's no other option here, so they have to go with him until he uh, eventually breaks down, and you have to wonder if that day is coming when he's played so many games. He's now in, in his year, age 33 season, and back to Stalock at 32. It's one of the oldest tandems, if we can say 32 and three, 33 is old, but it, we're talking hockey here, not real life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to Nashville, and uh, I will lead it off, AJ, with a talk about the forward ranks here. And off the top, they made a big addition with Matt Duchesne, 
at the center ranks and it all of a sudden gives them a pretty good looking trio in, the, in terms of the top three slots at center. Uh, we'll go through the lines though. Philip Forsberg is supposed to be their uh, scoring sensation but he was limited to 64 games and only 50 points last year. I think he, if he plays a full slate he'll do much better than that. 60 plus points is in his future I think particularly with a playmaker of Duchesne's quality. I think Duchesne could be uh, a point of game guy. He was almost that last season with 73 games played in 70 points. Victor Arvidsson, another guy who was injury plagued, only 58 games played and 48 points. So there's upward mo- mobility for on the wingers here in terms of point scoring should they play a full slate. Drops off a little bit on the second line, but not too much. The concern that I have is on the left side where they have the likes of Kali Yarncroc, uh, with 20, was only 26 points in 79 games played. Penciled in as a lo- second-line left-winger. You'd like to see better totals than that, uh, better ratio points to games played. Ryan Johansson is going to lose the first-line gig and maybe some time on the power play to Duchesne and uh, will be hard-pressed to equal the 64 points he collected in 80 games played last year. Michael Grandland is a guy who's challenged with the, for the team scoring lead in years past, and he'll need to do that and more to lift this team offensively. 54 points in 79 games played were his totals, and then it drops down significantly on the third line. But Kyle Torres is a guy that I just shake my head when I think of all the talent that I saw in this guy as a junior. Certainly he's an NHL veteran now, been around the league for quite a few years and I can't believe the drop off to the point where he only scored 23 points last year in 55 games played and uh, it may be difficult difficult for him to get much more when he's behind Johansson and Duchesne in this order Austin Watson and Colton Sissons present present more question marks than answers on the third line neither one of them is expected to get more than 30 points in my mind and AJ I wonder if there's any more help in the wings here you know, there really isn't the the wingers here are, are a little bit thin in, in terms of, you know, proven uh, kind of commodities. Now, uh, if you look at, you know, minor league numbers in the past, uh, Freddie Gaudreau, Miko Salamaki uh, could both be factors there if they could figure out how to, you know, bring what they've done in the AHL to the NHL here. But other than that, I really don't see it. Now, the one kind of... Uh, thing that could shuffle things around here is if they decided to move Kyle Turris to the wing to add him onto that second line. So you go Granlin, Johansson and Turris as that second line and then move a Nick Benino up into the third line. Now, uh, Benino really hasn't uh, been able to cement that third line uh, kind of center role for them since joining the club uh, a number of years ago. Uh, just hasn't been able to produce at anywhere really near the level that he did while in Pittsburgh. Although 35 points last year and 81 games played uh, certainly isn't anything to, uh, you know, shake, uh, you know, shake your hand at, at, uh, you know, at a, in a bottom six role. So I think uh, there are some other guys that they could f- move around, but uh, other than Benino, it's all kind of a lot of unknowns uh, that could factor in here and, and maybe step up and, and kind of come out of nowhere or, uh, they're going to flounder in in terms of not having much outside of those top two lines. So, uh, again, an, a lot of question marks being this far out from the season. We haven't had a chance to see preseason contests uh, that will, you know, really kind of show us what uh, coaching staffs are thinking in terms of, you know, how to how to shake everything up. So uh, defensively, you've got uh, the top two guys. Once again, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis both played all 82 games last season. You'll see 56 points to show for it. Ryan Ellis, 41. 
that second line is where we're going to see a little bit of a change here. You've got uh, Matthias Ekholm back, uh, 80 games played for him last year, 44 points. And P.K. Subban is gone uh, off uh, to New Jersey. And instead, I think we see Dante Fabro, uh, the youngster, uh, coming in and could really be a factor here. Uh, you know, played uh, just four games for Nashville after finishing up uh, his, his collegiate season there uh, with Boston. He had 35 points in 38 games, so I think he could really be a factor uh, for them. Now, how the rest of the blue line shakes out is is a pretty big question mark. You've got Dan Hamhuis, Steve Santini, uh, Matt Irwin, and Yannick Weber all could kind of factor in for those bottom uh, two spots. And so uh, it'll be a rotating crew there. I think we'll see uh, them kind of shuffle guys around a little bit. Um, but that top four, I think, is cemented in as as to in terms of who's going to factor in where. Yeah, no question. That's where the fantasy value lies here. They've, they, that's been the recipe here in Nashville. It's been defense first, and the quality of offense comes from the defense first, in my mind, again. And... Uh, Eckholm is a guy who's got the team-friendly contract. A lot was said about that last season, and I think it's important to bring that up. If you're in a salary cap league, this guy brings tremendous value in terms of points per dollar. Dante Fabro, he only played four, four games in the NHL, but look what he did at Boston College. He was almost a point-a-game guy. So if he can deliver that kind of scoring at the NHL level, there is not going to be much of a, a loss in terms of the P.K. Subban. But that's asking a lot of a youngster, and I'd rather wait for him to show me before I bank on him. But a guy that you might want to stash if you get a shot later in your draft in terms of the goalie split here there are a few more questions than there have been in the past Becca Rene slipped a little bit in terms of the games played uh, total 56 games played for this perennial workhorse he did pull off 30 wins and a pretty respectable 242 goals against average but I wonder if the day is coming where his longtime backup UC Saros is ready to challenge for the number one role here given the uh, the fact that that uh, Rene has got a lot of miles on him and Saros for his part produced pretty good numbers almost in line with with what Rene did I think this could be one of those 50-30 splits this year AJ what's your call yeah I would expect you know 56 uh, at least sub 60 is probably the new normal for Peke Rene and and I'll say that's you know a a twofold uh, kind of threefold factor here so one you've got Rene he's 36 years old so starting to creep up there a little bit uh, and so you want to see the workload kind of decrease a little bit there. You've got a backup in UC Saros, who has been phenomenal for them uh, the last couple of years. And so there's no uh, reason not to give Peke Rene the occasional game off just to keep him healthy. And then the third factor here I'll throw out there is you look uh, now, granted, I'm going to say this and people are going to point out there are extenuating circumstances here, but the last four Stanley Cup winners have not played their net minor more than 60 games uh, in that season, Bennington obviously came in late. Uh, the same thing the first year the Penguins won it with uh, Matt Murray, uh, actually both years with Matt Murray. And then, uh, you know, Washington used uh, uh, Braden Holpe less than 60 games. And so I think, as you pointed out, this is a new trend and you're seeing it help teams win Stanley Cups. And that is obviously the goal. It's the goal of every team, but some teams are closer to that goal than others. And Nashville is one of those teams that's been really close lately and are looking to put the pieces together. And I think one of those factors is not putting Renee out there for 60 games a year. And so all things combined, I do agree. I think it's a 55-30 uh, general split here for these clubs. So uh, that's pretty much what, what I'm seeing there. But 
I'll lead us in and just take the reins here, Paul. Lead us into St. Louis and take those forward line combinations here. Uh, and this is, you know, coming off uh, the the Stanley Cup win uh, for St. Louis. There's not a lot of changes. Why would you change things up if you just won <laughs> uh, the Stanley Cup? So I think you'll see Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen, Vladimir Tarasenko, Manning that top line. Uh, you know, the only one of these guys I think was significantly off where he should be producing at is probably Jaden Schwartz, 36 points in 69 games. You'd like to see him over 40. Uh, Shen, 54 points. Yeah, maybe he could push for 60, but I don't think 54 is by any means a disappointing season for him. Same with Tarasenko at 68. Then second line, uh, you're likely looking at Zachary Sanford, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, and David Perron. Again, same thing here, in my opinion. Perron only played 56 games, so if he can stay healthy, you're going to see his point total climb up over 50, maybe even push for 60 here. Uh, Zach Sanford is probably the weakest spot on this this second line and could be challenged by the likes of uh, our third liners who are going to be Sammy Blasse uh, and Robert Thomas. Uh, Blasse only played 32 games last year. He could be in line for a bigger role this season. Uh, but as a third line, they'll be anchored by Tyler Bozak, 38 points in 72 games. I think that's pretty on point for all those guys. Uh, there's a couple other X factors here, uh, you know, that that make up the fourth line that could get looks here. I'll let you kind of break that down and how you see uh, those other guys uh, factoring in in this top nine. Yeah, I, I think you're right in terms of being the defending champs. And the, really, it was the forward depth that carried this team. Uh, I'll say, and when you consider that forward depth, the fourth liners include Alex Dean, a veteran who has played top six minutes in the past, Barbashev at center, I think he's got an upward mobility on this roster, might usurp a bit of the role uh, that Tyler Bozak held last season, and then Oscar Sundquist could challenge Thomas if if he doesn't do better than the 33 points and 70 games that he showed during the regular season, but Thomas and Blay, Sammy Blay both excelled in the playoffs as third liners here, and that's what gives me hope that they can even challenge for higher roles. I think Blay could even challenge Zach Sanford for that second line left wing. Sanford only had 20 points last year in the 60 games played. Certainly, Jaden Schwartz is a guy that they need to get a little bit more out of than the 36 points he notched in 69 games played. He's better than that. He's shown it in the past, and that's a guy I would keep my eye on late in the draft to do much better given the circumstances that lies before him this year playing alongside quality of Shen and Tarasenko on that top unit AJ in terms of the defense pairings it's a veteran mix again as well with a couple of youngsters who have really well who have really come into their own uh, offensively Uh, when I think about them I think of Colton Pareko and Vincent Dunn Pareko uh, really has all the tools a big booming shot lots of size I can't believe he only had 28 points last year I think he's going to do way better than that this year cup partnered with a defensive-minded Jay Bomeister. That gives him the latitude to race up the ice and get involved more in the offense than he has been in the past. So I look for him to have a much better season offensively. Alex Pietrangelo, the linchpin here on the blue line, 41 points for a guy who is uh, such a quality player too. Uh, on, on and off the ice, a leader here on this club. And I think he has a chance to do better than the 41 points he produced. Carl Gunnarsson, only 25 games played, seven points. He had a wonderful playoff last season, and I expect him to build on that and produce much higher, and he threatened a 30-point mark 
from the blue line here. Vince Dunn, I mentioned, 35 points last year in 78 games. A bit of a breakout campaign. They'd love to get the same totals out of him, and you should too if you get him in later in the fantasy draft. He has a bit of an upward potential as well. Rounding out this six-pack is Robert Bertuzzo, but he is one of the, the only one of the six who is more of a defensive-minded specialist here. So I think they've got a lot of depth and a lot of quality that could help you in your fantasy scoring from the blue line ranks here. AJ, your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think you uh, pretty much covered what this top six is going to look like, assuming everybody is healthy. Right. And you'll have Joel Edmondson as your seventh uh, kind of defenseman to start the roster off. Um, and he, he is like Bertuzzo. And I think you could see those two kind of switch in and out of the lineup, assuming they're they're all healthy. If injuries pop up, there's a, a couple of guys here on two-way contracts that uh, could be call-up options that if they stuck, if these were long-term injuries, uh, could be a factor and might be names to kind of keep out an eye out for in terms of, uh, you know, in-season pickups or even if you're in, you know, kind of a deeper format and can stash. Uh, but those are Derek Pouliot, the perennial project who uh, hasn't really lived up to expectations. Things got a little bit better uh, in his last stopover in Vancouver. Uh, but obviously they weren't interested in keeping him either. Mitch Renke uh, and then Jake Dotson, all uh, kind of guys who, if there's a long-term injury that would make way for them to slot in and get consistent minutes, uh, could be factors later in the season. And like I said, maybe a stash uh, in, in deeper formats. In terms of the Nets, uh, I think what we're going to see is Jordan Bennington get the, the bulk of the, the workload here. But if there's any sort of uh regression here for him as and this is more about other teams starting to figure him out and less about his play uh jake allen is certainly there as an option so i honestly could see this going anywhere from a binnington in 60 you know playing uh close to 60 games or uh being closer to an even 40 40 split some of that might be giving Bennington time to adjust to the full 82 game schedule. He came in late in the season, was a workhorse for them playing, you know, most of their games on, on a night to night basis, but it is an adjustment to come in and start playing, you know, every single night in an 82 game season. So maybe they ease him off a little bit and he's closer to 50, but uh, this is probably one of the more up in the air situations. If only from a glut of options here. Jake Allen is by no means a, yes, he lost out the starting job, but 19 wins uh, in 46 games played is, is certainly respectable, especially for a guy that could be your, your number two option here. So um, we'll see what happens with this group. I, I don't think anything is guaranteed in terms of how many games we're going to see these two guys play. AJ, I'm so glad you said that because it makes me remind our listeners that they have some options in the minors. If Bennington takes the ball and runs with it, they don't need a Jake Allen here, okay? And so he could become trade bait. And then you look deeper into the depth chart here, and you've got the likes of Evan Fitzpatrick and Billy Huso in the minors at San Antonio, their top farm team in the AHL. Both will be getting a lot of work down there. And if one of those guys starts off well, it'll make Jake Allen that much more expendable if Jordan Bennington holds on to that first-line role. So this is a very fluid situation, to use a word that you've used throughout this podcast. This is one of the most fluid ones that I see, particularly in the goalie mix, and certainly bears a lot of watching. We round out our look at the Central Division here with the Winnipeg Jets and a team that 
might not be among the contenders in my mind, but AJ, you probably differ with your opinion, and it's largely for me about the fact that they have the holdout issues here on the club that they do. Kyle Connor on the sidelines right now, and Patrick Liney both without deals as we speak. But in terms of the forward complement, they ex- are expected to play a key role as they did last year. And uh, I might suggest that Patrick Line needs to do a lot better than the 50 points in 82 games played because that was a head-scratcher of a season for him. Uh, he lost the first-line gig as a result of the dip in production, or maybe because of it. But that first line, Connor certainly did his part to, to steal the role and play first-line minutes with Shifley and Wheeler, who will continue to run the show here with better than a point-per-game pace last season. They should do it again here to lead this offense. Brian Littles uh, holding on to the second-line role once again with the departure of Kevin Hayes. So they turn to the diminutive center to, to do better than the 41 points that he had last season in this role. And flanked by Ehlers and Line, he really should. I expect a bounce-back season from Patrick Line to do way better than 50 <coughs> points. If he's healthy and his head, head's on straight, he might get 50 goals. That's how good that guy is. And a bit of a drop-off on the third line, but a question uh, is for me, uh, how good is Jack Roslovich, and could he challenge for a top-six role? If so, he's going to do way better than the 24 points he notched. But the other guys are fillers, and that's Adam Lowry at 23 points in 78 games. Matthew Perot sometimes gets a look on the power play, but only 30 points in 82 games. That might be his ceiling, too. AJ, what do you think about this forward mix and your comments on the pending RFAs and how that may affect the way this team looks coming out of camp? Yeah, I mean, in terms of what you expect the team to do for the season, uh, you have to go off the assumption that they'll get these guys signed prior to the start of the year. Obviously, uh, there's no guarantee of that. We saw that last year, uh, you know, with uh, uh, your your Toronto guy there. Uh, but we'll see uh, if they're here. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of how these guys factor in. Uh, Kyle Connor, I think, is best suited in that top line spot, but. Uh, as we've seen last year, they've put Patrick Laine up there uh, when he was slumping a little bit. And so we'll see uh, how that goes. I totally agree. Patrick Laine should be closer to 80 points than 50 points uh, based on his uh, you know, productivity and, and his skill set. Uh, but I think Little is a candidate to have a, a bigger season if, you know, assuming they don't once again bring in somebody at the trade deadline. You know, that's happened a little uh, the last two seasons. There was Kevin Hayes, uh, and before him it was Paul Statsny that they brought in. So uh, I think I think they have potential there. The other two X factors are, are Veselainen and Appleton, both youngsters who could uh, push for, you know, third-line uh, responsibilities. If there's injuries, those guys are capable of playing, uh, you know, second line minutes as well. And so we'll see how that all squares out. But I think both, uh, I, I really like this forward compliment. I think they're headed, uh, in the right direction here on the back line. Uh, you're going to see Josh Morrissey and Dustin Bufflin pairing up, uh, for that top group. Both of these guys dealt with injuries last year. So the key for them is, uh, a healthy, a fully healthy group, uh, and I think if Morrissey and Bufflin can both play uh, closer to 70, 80 games, I think these are 40, uh, at least 40 point producers. Morrissey, I think, could push 450 uh, if he played a full healthy season. And so I love both these guys uh, in terms of fantasy. I think because they've dealt with injuries, they might be a little undervalued, not to mention Winnipeg's like the forgotten team of the NHL. 
you know, Mark Shifley goes mostly unnoticed last year in terms of accolades. And this is a guy who produced over a point per game and played every single night. You would have loved to have him on your fantasy team last year if you didn't. Uh, going uh, down the, the defensive roster here, you've got Dmitry Kulikov and the new man Neil Pionk slotting in for Jack, uh, Jacob Truba after he left. Uh, Kulikov's just six points in 57 games. He's not going to rack up points uh, by any means. Uh, for you pionk is the the question mark here can he top the 26 points he's kind of been pushed down uh the the depth chart when he was in uh new york with the rangers i think this is an opportunity for him to play consistent games consistent minutes and i could see him topping 30 35 points this year from there it's nathan boilo uh 12 points in 48 games for them last season i think he'll uh, you know, be right around that. I, I would guess 20 at max is his ceiling, not a huge fancy producer, uh, even if he plays a full season. And then Sammy Niku is their youngster uh, coming up through the ranks. He could move up kind of, uh, I could see him challenging Neil Pionk for that second uh, set there. Uh, Niku had four points in 30 games, but you look at his minor league numbers, 12 points in 20 with Manitoba last season. And I think, you know, being settled in, as a full-time NHL player will really help him. He's a 20 to 30 point uh, potential here uh, for Sammy Niku. And uh, uh, I also don't want to sleep on Logan Stanley, who's another youngster that could really factor in for them heading into the future, how he fits into this mix. Does he secure a spot on the 23 man roster uh, for opening night? I don't know yet. Uh, It depends on whether or not they feel he'd be better suited to spend more time in the minors, but uh, definitely someone that you would want to take a look at in your deeper formats. All right, AJ, and that leaves me to comment on the defense, and I think there's a lot of offensive potential back here. Dustin Bufflin, imagine if this guy puts together a healthy season. I know it's an age 34 a year for him, but 31 points in 42 games played without a couple of guys that were sharing the top power play minutes uh, out of the mix here now as they've gone to greener pastures. Bufflin will hold down that key role, and his point total could go significantly higher than 31 points than he got last year. Pionk is another guy who was a power play specialist with the Rangers. He'll get a look on the extra man situation as well. And that's where most of the fantasy value lies here. Josh Morrissey, a sneaky offensive value when you consider he had 31 points last year. You could probably snake him late in the draft and you'll be pretty happy with the returns should he partner with Bufflin all season long as we project. The goalie situation here is one of those few where they had a goalie that played over 60 games and uh, he's emerged as one of the league's best. That's Connor Hallibuck, 34 wins last year. The goals against was a little bit high, but that was mostly as a result of the fact that they lost their defensive structure with the injuries to the blue line. I expect better health this season and better numbers as a result for Hallibuck. And I think he's still going to be one of the few guys that tops the 60 games played mark. Laurent Brassois, you like how I handle that French Canadian name there? (laughs) Pretty smooth. Laurent Brassois, 21 games played last year, held the fort to the tune of a 252 goals against average. Looks to me like they got a quality backup there, but I don't think they're going to stray away too far away from the 60 to 22 uh, split uh, in this situation, AJ. Yeah, I tend to agree, but I, I let me just say I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, held down uh, Hallibuck's workload to closer to 55, if only because we've been talking about that being the trend and because they have a solid backup, uh, backup in Brossois. So uh, I agree. 
I think you'll see Hallibuck over 60, but I won't be shocked if it's less than that. And so, you know, any of our guy, our listeners who pick up Hallibuck, let's just be upfront that we cautioned you that maybe he won't play over 60 <laughs> so that when that happens, you're not uh, tweeting at us. Hey, you said Hallibuck was a 60 guy. He probably will be. But there's a chance he won't. So let's just, uh, you know, put that out there right now. <laughs> all right, AJ. So we've gone through all the teams, and it's time to put our our thoughts to paper and uh, see what how we do at the end of the season. Let's talk about how we fin- figure the teams will line up at the end of the season. And if there's a potential wild card in your mix, I'd like you to, to declare that. For me, I look for the defending champs to rise to the top of this division. They figured out how to win last year. And I think that they're going to win this division. It's a very competitive one. I think they've got a bit of a leg up just because of that great experience last season and the top-to-bottom depth that I see here uh, leading them to the flag in the Central Division. But right behind them, Colorado makes the big jump for me. Uh, This team has uh, got all the offense you you need to be a contender. And they've got uh, a rising star in the Nets should he be healthy. But that's a rather big question mark if uh, Philip Grubauer comes through that team will finish in second place for me. And a team that we've usually listed at the top of this division the last few years, Nashville Predators, they slide, but it's more as a result of the other teams catching up to them than any fault of theirs. Their their warts have been offensive uh, in the past. They've uh, improved a little bit, but they may have uh, gone the other way in the nets with the, their tandem getting a little bit older and causing me a little bit of concern to drop them to third overall. I'm picking the Dallas Stars as the my wild card team. And it's going to be predicated largely on how they infuse the veteran quality that they've added up front and the health of Brian Bishop in the nets. Chicago Blackhawks showed an uptick last year in terms of their overall play. I think they are going to be a good team this year, but they're just in a very tough division. And I don't think they'll catch Dallas for a wild card spot and finish fifth. I'm picking the Winnipeg Jets sixth, and it's largely because of the fact they've lost so much on the blue line here in terms of the depth that they had last year and quality with a couple of guys going uh, to other pastures, as I mentioned. And uh, the Minnesota Wild, they are going to be beat up all season long. They're a team that's aging in the wrong positions, and I think they're a lock for me to finish last in this group. AJ, I know we differ in a few places, somewhat significantly in a couple of picks, and I'd love to hear your defense of your, your lineup top to bottom. Well, to quote uh, our, our American president, when you, uh, you know, mentioned Winnipeg as a six team, I'm just going to say wrong. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think Winnipeg is, is uh, a team that could win the division this year. I think uh, if you get Patrick Line uh, back up closer to 80 points, you've got just a ton of of scoring potential there. I actually love their blue line. I, I think uh, Neil Pionk's a great addition for them. And Morrissey and Bufflin being healthy uh, is huge. Uh, obviously, if Kyle Connor or Patrick Laine holds out for an extended period of time, that is going to be a problem and, and will factor into where they finish. But as I said before, assuming that those guys get locked up here before the start of the season, uh, I think we see Winnipeg uh, winning the division from there. I agree. Colorado number two here. The question mark and goal, uh, obviously, but they've got a ton of uh, uh, talent there. And again, another blue line that I'm really high on in terms of, of what they've added in terms of youngsters. I think Nashville, perennial powerhouse, Peke Rene still uh, has it there. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, I think they can uh, finish third. I'm really back and forth on this fourth pick. So uh, I think St. Louis gets the fourth overall slot here. 
I'm back and forth on whether or not they're a wild card. I'm going to say yes uh, to them being a wild card team, but there's a bunch of rising teams in the Pacific Division, and I wouldn't be surprised if they took uh, both wild card spots here. But uh, in terms of my finalized prediction, I will say Saint uh, Saint Louis uh, takes a wild wild card spot here. Dallas comes in fifth. Uh, there's uh, you know some depth concerns I have for them. Uh, you know we talked about yes they added Pavelski, which I think is a great addition for them. Uh, their goaltending is is pretty decent, uh, but there's just something that this club hasn't been able to put together, and I don't know that just bringing in Joe Pavelski is what's automatically going to make it. And I have concerns about Corey Perry as well, uh, and whether he can continue to produce. Chicago, as you said, up and coming uh, again, kind of surging, but this is one of the toughest divisions out there. I think in part because they only have seven teams. There's not an eighth team for them to all beat up on during the year. Um, that might unfortunately uh, happen in, in future years. Um, once Seattle gets uh, added, I think they'll grab a team from the Pacific that, that could be uh, kind of the, the bottom feeder here. And then Minnesota, there's just so many concerns here with this team. Yes, they added Matt Zuccarello, which I think is great. Um, but they've got youngsters who still need time to develop. Their their kind of top line is getting up there in age. Uh, and one injury to Sutter, Spurgeon, or Dumba knocks this D uh, group out from being on the one of the better ones in the league to being uh, one that's holding on by a thread. And so uh, that's that's why I put them in the bottom here. All right. Well, I'm I'm thinking we got to tweet out our our lineups at the end of the show. Maybe AJ can let that be one of your tasks as a takeaway to tweet out these picks that we've made and see in a poll whether they like mine better than yours as the season is a month <laughs> away. But uh, we are not without our sponsors on this show, and we have to give a nod to Rotowire for setting up an online championship via the NFHC. It's the first ever national fantasy hockey championships that are now being availed to fantasy sports players. There's a website link that we'll be putting out. Uh, it's... Uh, nfc.shgn.com slash rules slash 291 question mark landing it's a bit of a mouthful here so i will tweet that out later again for the national fantasy hockey championships uh, baseball and football have long had major tournaments all over north america in this space and we're very proud to announce the inaugural rotowire fantasy hockey online championships hosted by the nfhc aj yeah, I mean, uh, uh, to give you a little bit of a, an easier one to share out here, rotowire.com slash high stakes. Uh, that will get you uh, to that other link that Paul uh, kind of provided there. So a little bit simpler to get there. Um, this will allow you to play against other Rotowire listeners. And uh, I, I think we're going to have some of our experts in there, um, you know, competing for a chance to win up to 10 grand as a top prize in these rotowire contests uh you know the leagues each league has its own uh kind of winner so you can win some money there and then on top of that you're entered to win in the playoffs uh that even bigger price uh prize win i know i could certainly use uh 10 grand at the end of the hockey season that's for sure and the format is this they have 12 team league set up with a 20 round draft $350 is the entry fee with cash prizes for individual leagues and the overall championships as well we remind our listeners if you're interested in this as AJ suggested 
the easier link is to go to join the Rotowire Fantasy Hockey Online Championships at rotowire.com slash high stakes. So I'm looking forward to getting in there. You think they can call me an expert? I think I've earned that right, AJ. <laughs> so if, if it hasn't happened yet, I'm going to be calling the head office to get in on this because I'm so excited about it. And, uh, partner, that's the first of four episodes in the books uh, I think we're in for a pretty good season this season season in the NHL. A lot of young stars, and uh, it's become a younger man's game, and I'm excited about where this season is going to take us. Yeah, I mean, I, I am equally excited this year, and while I totally agree it has uh, transitioned to a young man's game, let's not forget you look at uh, those guys at the top of the, the scoring uh, table last year. You had Patrick Kane up there, Brad Marchand, Sidney Crosby. Uh, you know, there's a handful of guys still putting up over 90 points, over 100 points a game uh, that uh, are a little bit older. So let's not uh, put the veterans out to pasture quite yet. <laughs> These guys got a little bit left in the tank, I think. Uh, so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll break it down the rest of the way uh, and we'll be ready for week one here. You know what? I was wondering how you're going to work Sidney Crosby into the Central <laughs> Division preview, but you did. Hey, I didn't even mention him first. Come <laughs> on. I, I said Kane. I started with Kane. Brad That's Marshall, awesome. You know, come on. <laughs> well, that wraps up this episode of podcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next one will take place next week, Tuesday, September 17, where we take a look at the Pacific Division. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to set ahead of your competition in fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody. 